he would have had a dozen waves where he landed two legitimate airs on the same wave. And that was at like a pretty closed out beach break. I can't imagine what he would be capable of on like a six turn point. If he gets the right sections, he could do three airs easily on a wave, like Felipe style. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. And this week we have another episode with the Cusp boys, Mikey Saramella and Stace Galbraith. We'll be talking the 2022 tour changes that the WSL has just announced, as well as the Mexico, the Mexico event, which is upcoming. Before that, I'm going to talk to Brendan Buckley, Stab's editor, like we always do, and catch up on the week's surf news. One thing worth noting, though, is that Buck and I and the Cusp guys both recorded prior to... Gabby Medina confirming during a live Fortnite gaming session that he isn't going to Tahiti for the last event before the WSL finals, the out known Tahiti Pro, which is later this month. I'm not going to Chobo because I don't vaccine I'm not going to Chobo because I haven't taken the vaccine, was the translation as Gabby clicked away on his video game controller. Of course, it won't, it won't really affect Gabby's title run as he's already secured a spot in the showdown at Trestles. And he'll likely remain number one regardless because Italo is in second and we need to win both of the remaining events to overtake Medina. And world number three is Felipe, or Felipe, I always say it wrong, damn it. Felipe Toledo and he'd need to make both finals, Mexico and Tahiti to steal the number one spot going into lowers. So if anyone's wondering if Medina is anti-vax, it would seem so because all the Brazilian Olympic athletes were given the option to get the vaccine. So he must have turned it down there. But even the Brazilian president is a COVID skeptic and is constantly downplaying the seriousness of COVID despite Brazil averaging a death toll of over a thousand people a day, every day from January to July. And then there's been over half a million dead, which is you know the official death toll who knows the actual number, given the limited access to medical support there. But what are you going to do? Let's catch up on the surf news from the week with STABS editor, Brandon Buckley. How are you going? I'm good. Yeah, I don't think I told you, but I'm just in Italy right now. You're in Italy? Yeah, Amalfi Coast. Oh, wow. Well, how did you get to Italy and why did you get to Italy? Your face right now is so, so confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in my, so, when, you're when, in, I, when you're in Australia, I'll, I'll explain my confusion. When you're in Australia, the, the concept of international travel just doesn't exist. So it's, I don't know, you've been in, you were just in the States, you were in Costa Rica, you're back in France, and then now you're in Italy. I'm just taunting you, aren't I? Yeah. Just eating my pasta here on the Amalfi Coast. Okay, well, one massive piece of news is John John Florence is done competing for good. For good? Well, for good reasons this year. Oh. Uh, he's still hurt. Oh, man, my, my, I almost had a heart attack in my butthole just then. I was, I was like, he's gone forever? No, sorry. Uh, I was just catching my breath. He's, he's done competing for good reasons this year. Uh, he's still hurt, still healing me, so... He made an announcement that he's going to keep doing physical therapy for 60 days. And he's out for Mexico. He's out for Tahiti. And he's in for pipe, which will start the 2022 WSL CT. 
Man. Yeah, I mean, he's had such a horrific run with those wobbly old knees. He came back from... And it was even to try and qualify for the Olympics because he, he had 2019 off. He he came back and just managed to squeeze the goat out of the Olympics, and then obviously he had the injury this year, and you know it was a it was a it was barely show up showed up to the Olympics with that with that um, that really tentative knee, and then taking the rest of the season off. Yeah, I mean his knees, in my opinion, are some of the most hardworking people in the surf industry. <laughs> Um, he's, he's surgeons are for sure. <laughs> they are, man. They're busy people. Can you imagine just trying to figure out your calendar with all that? I feel like John John's level of talent. He's he, he's, he's not on, he's not an eleven time world champ. He's not on Kelly level in terms of his dominance and and his level of competitiveness and talent. But I feel like he's at least a six or seven world title kind of guy. And he, you know, he, he showed that in 2016 and 17 when he won. John John Florence starting with a round two loss to a round three loss. He was upset, blasting huge errors. It's not worth losing your career. But then in 2018, it looked like he had the title pretty much sewn up and then he injured himself and then re-injured that again in 2019. In 2020, there was no two a year, but in 2021, he's pulled out because of injury again. Oh, John's hurt himself here, I think. I cannot believe what's happening. The best start I've ever had, the best position I've been in, the Olympic qualification, all this stuff, and then it just being stopped. I need surgery early to come back like five months maybe. And I feel like that's three world titles that right in his window of maximum potential that he's he's now missed out on. Like how many world titles do you think he's he's gonna end up with at the end of his career? I don't know. That's a really good way to that's an interesting way to think about it. Like six or seven Almost sounds low to me. I don't think he'd top Kelly if he was healthy the whole time, but I'm going to go with a nice round nine, actually. Yeah. You know, I like nine. It's a comfortable number for me. Yeah, I guess Kelly didn't have a Gabe, though. And I think Gabe's, you know, his psychotic dedication to competition is, is probably what, why I wouldn't put it up, up at that nine number. And certainly now, because he's lost these, these years in his peak window because of injury, but... I mean, I feel like, especially when you compare John John and, and Gabe that, and you think about injuries and, and how much they can destroy professional careers. Do you remember that guy, Bo Jackson? He, he played Major League Baseball, but he was also good enough to play in the NFL and he was actually all-stars in both sports. Do you remember that guy? I do. I don't know much about him, but I remember his name and his whole deal. Now we're talking about Bo Jackson here. Bo would dominate in football and baseball just the way he dominated in the late 80s. Yeah, well, he was, he was so famous because he, he was good enough to play in two leagues and they had different seasons, so he could essentially play year-round. But I think he pushed his body, like, way too hard and he ended up having a horrific happen with his hip and he could, he could no longer play football anymore. But I feel like that's what John John's doing. Gabby's just focused on competition and... John John's doing both. He's doing free surfing. You know, he's an all-star and, and probably the best in the world at both free surfing and competition, whereas Gabby's just focusing on competition. I feel like that's where Gabby's got him and that's kind of, I don't know, I think that's John's his biggest downfall. And I don't even think he's really capable of just doing the one because I feel like free surfing and, and video parts is as much a part of what drives him as competition. It's true. When he's healthy and he's doing those, dropping those free surf parts, they're... 
undoubtedly some of the best parts of the year every time. That's, that's a good point. But I guess it's hard to do both. I don't think it's a bad idea for him to try to, I don't know, maybe baseball? Another huge announcement is the WSL's reinstatement of the mid-year haircut <laughs> and the Challenger series revamped. I guess we'll leave this to the cast guys to go into in, in detail, but huge news. How do you feel about it, Brendan Buckley? I think it's great. I think it's almost the perfect move right now. We'll let the cusp boys go into that more, but I do have a premium piece coming about the potential for bigger changes in the future. Uh, talked to some people at WSL. I talked to Connor Coffin, who is a surfer's rep. And so I got some different perspectives in there. And I think that in the long term, there's going to be more like this coming. In the last 10 years, the average amount of surfers that would win an event in any given year is around seven, at least on the men's side. And so having a system where you have 32 and only seven are going to potentially win seems a little bit funny to me. Yeah, I 100% agree. I feel like everyone wins, you know, and, and you can't make that change so drastically because that'd be unfair to people that have dedicated their entire life and, and every bit of financial asset they have to trying to qualify for this tour, which seems maybe achievable for them if there's 30 to 40 people floating around on there. And you, if you just chop that in half, that would be too drastic. So it has to be a slow transition to be fair on some level but i think everyone wins in this scenario and the only people who aren't going to enjoy it are the surfers that get cut off early and uh who else probably bobby martinez jonah hill got a body love tattoo with the body glove logo and i think this is hilarious because we just talked about body glove on here yeah who was the celebrity you said was wearing the rash guard again oh did you google this shania twain I Googled it again after we were chatting and it wasn't just one concert. There's, there's, she's wearing all kinds of different rashies in all different live settings and a, a few of them are body glove. There's like three or four that are body glove. I think there might have even been an O'Neill one in the mix, but she was really into the rash guard as a, as a live performance outfit. It's funny to me because we – just the fact that it's body glove again and coming from working at a big surf company – Every now and then you hear about a big celebrity surfing or something. It's, oh, how do we get them in some product? And there's almost this, like, this, you try to think of a creative and natural way to do it, get them in board shorts or wetsuits, whatever it is. The fact that you fucking got a body glove tattoo is, like, kind of gold just because it's, it's just an obscure wetsuit brand. Like, like, what? It's just so bizarre. It's a funny coincidence, I think. Yeah, I mean, I know I've heard him speak in interviews before about his hatred of being judged, his weight being the subject of, of public conversation and in the media and he hates what's been said around it. So I became famous in my late teens and then spent most of my young adult life listening to people say that I was fat and gross and unattractive. It's only in the last four years writing and directing my movie mid-90s that I've started to understand how much that hurt and got into my head. I think that it was, it was less about the brand and it was more of his love of the pun. And his, that pun as with his newfound love for surfing together seemed to, um, was probably just too much not to get tattooed on the body. But one thing I can't understand is if you're an actor, would you get tattoos? I've never thought about that. Oh, that's only the half of it. Another one, it's a story that we published on Stab Premium last week, but there are some surfers on the WSL CT 
that are hesitant to get vaccinated. And this is a huge issue because there's not enough time for them to get from Mexico to Tahiti because Tahiti has a 10-day quarantine for non-vaccinated travelers. And there's only five days between the last day of Mex and the first day of Tahiti. It could work out. They could, Mex could end early, Tahiti could start late, but still you're taking the risk of 10 days in a hotel room for nothing. But it's an interesting one. Do you have a sense of how many surfers it is that are hesitant? I don't think it's a huge amount. It's, I think around, it's less than 10%. Yeah. I got, I wrote the story and I incorporated some information from the National Football League in the U.S. because they're coming out with some policies that are quite in favor of the vaccine. Like it's, it's a different kind of protocol if you have it or not. And there's been a lot of backlash to that. Teams can get in trouble if they don't, if an outbreak occurs and it's traced back to unvaccinated players. WSL is not doing any of that. But I did, I think the NFL is around 15%. And I've been told that the WSL is less than 10. Right. So it's not a huge amount of surfers. Um, and the other thing there is that 2022, they've built the WSL calendar to accommodate for potential quarantine windows. There's gaps between the events that would allow these surfers to still go about the tour and make it to every stop. But restrictions change quickly. It could be up to 50, 100 days in a hotel quarantine for people that aren't getting the job. So it's an interesting one. I mean, not unique to our world, but it's something that's just happening now. When it comes to... Uh, expert opinion, there's unanimous consensus that this, the vaccines are safe and effective and the right thing to do. Like, why as a governing body would you, would you cater for the fringe, the tiny fringe that for whatever reason aren't on board w- with, with that process? Like, I, f- I don't know, it seems backwards to me to, to shift the whole tour around some... Um, fringe perspectives yeah it's interesting it's interesting i do even that number it being less than 10 percent. i was looking at something yesterday because in new york city starting in a month or two you're not going to be allowed to dine indoors or go to cinemas stuff like that theaters unless you're vaccinated and i read that the rate of the population that is still unvaccinated there is around 30 percent, and that's what i read was on par with the rest of the u.s so I guess it's actually a smaller issue in surfing than it is in the bigger population of the U.S. But it's interesting that just trying to figure out how to cater to it, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting... It just must be fucking annoying, really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, man. Like, surely, I don't know how, what, what level of paranoid um, conspiracy theory wormholes these people are down, if, if that is the, in fact, that... You know, I mean, I, I can understand vaccine hesitancy. There's a lot of misinformation and it's really easy to, to get swept up and, and become vaccine hesitant. But if you believe in the scientific method, then you, you, you shouldn't be. So hopefully these people, the inconvenience actually tips them over the edge and they get the vax and don't have to live this weird existence of sitting in hotel rooms and inconvenience for the rest of their life. I thought it was funny when... I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the U.S., at least when it was first made really widely available, there were all these incentives, like anything from like free weed to free 
I think meals at places, free money even. They're doing all these things to try to incentivize people to get it. And I thought that was kind of funny. Is Australia like that? Yeah, there's, there's been talk of it. There's been talk of payments and stuff. Isn't it funny like the protect your loved ones, like help the entire world overcome this global pandemic, like all those like big greater good motivating factors just aren't quite significant, but oh, what? I get to have a bong if I get vaccinated for free, <laughs> a relatively cheap drug. I get some for free and that'll like encourage me to get vaccinated. It's so funny. We're, we're, such, we're such silly beings. The travel from Mexico to Tahiti, these surfers, I, I don't even think they have enough time to get a couple of rounds of the vaccine by then. So what are they going to do? Are they going to fly to Tahiti and then hope that the event doesn't run at the start of the window? Or what do, you, do you have any sense from the WSL how surfers are going to try and play this out? We don't know who exactly is on that page. I'm not sure what exactly it would mean. And another thing is just if a surfer does pull out, I don't think you could automatically assume that they are amongst the people that are not getting the vaccine. Uh, there's been so many pullouts this year. It's been by far like the least attended CT season of all time with the pandemic. So I, I think that's like immediate assumption that, you know, somebody is on that page. Oh, that's only the half of it. So the last thing we'll talk about is some really good edits that dropped this week from two different Danes. Two different Danes we've got. We've got Dane Reynolds and we've got Dane Godoskis. Dane Godoskis' edit is called Explore Your Mind. It's playing exclusively on Stab Premium, and it is wonderful. He rides about a million different surfboards. He goes around the world, and he makes it look really fun and shares some insightful things. It's, it's a really good watch. Yeah, I loved it. You know, I sent Dane Godoskis fan mail once. Please tell me more. Well, I just sent him a message, and it, I just put fan mail as the first thing because... Uh, I just love his surfing so much. And I think he's such a, he's just such a compelling character. Like I just can't help but love him. And then he just gave me the best response ever. Just like, right on brother, man. Like you're just some total Dangodowskis, high energy. And uh, I can still continue to this day to be a fan. I've spent time with him in like various different settings and probably over the course of like 10 years now. And I interviewed him to compliment the video and I've, Loved the chat with him. We talked for like an hour and I just kind of distilled it into the most potent bits. But in the intro, I actually wrote, it's similar to what you just said, seeing him interact with people, you know how some people kind of put on an act. They're Mm -hmm. all friendly, jolly, kind, happy. All of a sudden a camera pans away or a certain person of power like leaves the room and they act completely different. They just switch off. Yep. I have seen him just interact with anybody in that same just Dan Godoskis way of just like pure he's just so genuine and engaged and I think when you see somebody apply that level of engagement to a conversation with somebody that like they can't benefit from at all just an absolute stranger it's the hallmark of a really good person and I've seen him do that like pretty much every time we've hung out so it's he's awesome and his movie's awesome go watch it best elevator ride of my life was with Dan Godoskis one time it was just like so Ooh. high, so high energy. Just stepped <laughs> out of that, it? just on the Gold Coast, and just stepped out of that elevator. Just like whoa, that was like having an elevator ride with Anthony Robbins. It was powerful. I got it was one of like those high rises on the Gold Coast where everybody would stay when they had the event there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got like Felipe Toledo 
travels with a posse, or at least he used to. And I remember one time, same situation, well, similar situation, just getting on an elevator and stops on my floor. And I think it was his brother. And it was just me and him in there. And he had clearly just let out the most disgusting fart. Like the thing was lingering so thick in the air still. It was just this like old, just slow elevator. And I, you know, I don't know if I didn't even try to address it. I don't know if there would have been a language barrier, but it was just this awful, awful elevator ride. Could have been the same elevator that you had the best ride of your life and I had the worst. <laughs> it probably was. And, and for the other Dane, it's always just such a gift to all of surf humanity when Dane Reynolds puts together an edit because not only is he still probably one of the best surfers in the world, but he's also probably one of the best video editors in the world and stab's got a project uh that dane worked on and edited himself coming out shortly but yeah another chapter 11 and is this the last chapter 11 video yeah it is it is edited 11 that's that's an interesting one i don't think we have that answer yet i think uh we're still waiting to hear but it could just been a chapter 11 chapter 11 file for bankruptcy have we ever properly acknowledged the great fortune of Dane calling his first ever movie that he did with Quicksilver back in, what year was that when that came out? 2004, maybe? Three? First chapter. So he makes his video with Quicksilver, first chapter. It was phenomenal. It was really well made. And then he ends his sponsorship with Quicksilver. Quicksilver goes bankrupt and he releases a movie to document that period of his life. And chapter 11 just so happens to be sitting there as this like incredible bookend to to his surf film making career as a Quicksilver team writer. I don't know if anyone's properly acknowledged just like how, you know, that fortune, like it's like when Kelly had 11 more titles and that, that 11 just replaced the L's in his name so well. That chapter one and chapter 11 for Dane was, was just, you know, when the name, the name gods just shine on, on certain people and things just come together. I was, I was, impre- I was impressed. Uh, the name gods loved him there. I was actually, I just started at Quicksilver right around when that dropped. And it was funny because it doesn't paint the company in a great light. No. But still, I think everybody there just had to acknowledge how good the movie was, that you couldn't even be like mad or upset. It was just like, yeah, yeah whatever. I mean, he's fucking right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so how was that received? Was it, it, it must have been the conversation around the office for days, potentially weeks. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, oh, it's a good movie. Like, you couldn't, it was so good that you couldn't get, like I said, you couldn't get mad or upset. You'd have to just embrace it and be like, I might watch it again tonight. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's only the half of it. All right, Buck, and we've also got the second week of our new segment, Surf Sins. This is your concept. Can you explain for anyone who's listening for the first time how this works? on healing journeys. And so what the surf sins thing is about is it's a system that enables you to confess any sin that you've committed in surfing. And we tell you, we we just kind of explore why it's wrong through our context. And then we also give you, I don't know if you'd call it a punishment. We, We give you a way to start that healing journey and forgive yourself, forgive anybody that else that was involved in the situation. And it's about yeah, just these surf sins and really a way to to get them off your chest and feel better. 
So we got some good ones this week. It's a cleansing, yeah. It's a cleansing process, yeah. Our first surf scene this week is from listener James Kennedy. And this is, this is what James had to say. Forgive me, brah, for I have sinned. This is JP here submitting my surf sin, which is essentially jumping on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, and offer up incessantly looking at surfboards. And uh, it's a bit of an addiction that my wife is less than excited about. <laughs> I had seven surfboards that I was not too stoked on, so I decided to change that and uh, traded boards, sold boards, bought boards, kept doing it. Uh, I've got two young kids under three years old so all most of our money is tied up uh in that i couldn't really justify spending 700 bucks on a freshie Uh, i wish i could just have dumped all seven and just bought a couple customs uh dole me out the punishment father so the first time i listened to it i was a little bit confused i was trying to figure out what exactly the sin was and i spent some time with it and I think basically his sin is that he is rational about surfboards, which is absolutely a problem. In no instance should you ever make wise decisions when it comes to surfboards. Like the whole thing, the whole premise is making bad decisions. And for him to be smart about it is clearly a problem. What do you think? Becoming ultra focused on on surfboards, it's typically like a compensationary thing for when you're not surfing enough and so i think he's not spending enough time in the water and anything that's surf focused that isn't actually surfing can yeah i don't know they can be they can be traps because they you, you feel like oh it's it's surf related and it but you're not actually surfing so but then other than that i guess he's just annoying his wife you know he's got three kids and He's just tapping away on the computer. That's, that's not a good life, too much time on the computer. The problem for me is that it's just this, this use board thing. Like we need a world where people buy 10-foot guns and then never surf them. We need a world <laughs> where people buy $700 really sharp, pointy surfboards and go surf, try to do turns in the highways and all. Like we need – this is part of our fabric, right? Like we need <laughs> – we need this, these things to keep happening. And so in terms of a way to resolve this, uh, I just recommend that he goes out and finds the most expensive board that he can and buys that. Oh, okay, right. So all this fiscal responsibility and, and very serious approach to owning a surfboard quiver should be turned on its head as his punishment and he should splash some cash on a board he'll most likely never ride. Absolutely, yes. Mm. I like that. What do you think? Well, I kind of took it a different way. I mean, in my head, when I was listening, I was just like going, you know what? This guy's self-aware enough to realize that that's an annoying person to be around and he's annoying his wife, someone who's just there fanatically chasing down secondhand surfboards. Like no one wants to be around that person. And so I just thought his punishment should be that He's not allowed to buy wax for 10 years, which means he's going to be, uh, you know, annoying people in the car park for the next 10 years. And that's just spreading his annoyingness around, you know. I'm not actually sure how that helps. I haven't really quite thought that through. But, uh, yeah, that was just – that was my punishment. 
I like that because that really is a desperate moment, isn't it? When you're when you just you're looking around, you're like, okay, who am I gonna hit? You kind of sussing everybody out, especially if you're on the road and perhaps you're somewhere where it's a different language too. You like you know, or you can kind of like just do it with your hands, and it's confusing. That's a good punishment there. Imagine if he does buy that that new board that you've ordered him to buy, and then he needs to wax it up if he does want to surf it one day. Uh, that's gonna be tricky with a brand new board. That would be a, that's not an okay, like imagine that, going to, like, okay, I borrow some wax and then just waxing a brand new surfboard right in front of somebody. <laughs> Especially a 10 foot gun. That's very tricky. Maybe 10 years is too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I think that's perfect. All right, Buck, our next surf scene is from Hendo. And Hendo, I don't know if I've met Hendo before. I, I, I think... I was introduced to him through Ronnie Blakey one time. I know he, I think he travels the tour or I know he does a podcast called the Frothcast. And I can't remember if we've either interacted online or I have met him face to face, but he, he's a funny man and he's surf scene's funny too. Let's have a listen. Yeah, boys. Endo Froth here. Love the show. Love what you've done with the place. What up, Wet Lettuce? How you doing, Mr. Big Dick Power Surfer? Forgive me, frothers, for I have sinned. And this is my surf sin story. As you guys may or may not know, I'm basically legally blind. I rock a 4.5 prescription for my eyeballs, and I'm not wearing these hipster glasses for fun. So a lot of people ask me when I go surf, How do you see when you don't have glasses or contacts in? I say, I don't know, man. I feel the waves, man. Anyways, one day after the Gold Coast event had wrapped, I was out at Snapper and that whole stretch trying, battling to get waves with the world's best and pretty much to no avail. An hour goes by, an hour and a half, two hours. I Barely had caught anything. And finally, a wave comes to me right at Snapper, and I am frothing off my testicles. I get up, get a couple turns off, you know, and nothing crazy, nothing to blog home about, but I'm just so happy to finally get a wave and connect it. I'm making my way down to Greenmount. I am stoked. Lo and behold, what happens? Someone drops in on me. I'm like, ah, shit. Super bummed, but, you know, I wanted to keep going, so I let out a couple you, 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 used to let the person know, hey, I'm surfing here, right? Person kept going. I get closer to this person, and finally I let out one more, you, and it's about a foot close. Finally, the person turns to me, and I realize at that point who it was. It was none other than the king of the Gold Coast, Mr. Mick Eugene Fanning. At that point, my heart dropped into my anus, and I nearly sharded myself. I'm thinking, basically, it's like going to a party at Leonardo DiCaprio's house, stealing a beer out of his fridge. He comes up to you, takes that beer, and you're like, hey, man, that's my beer. No, 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 no. It's his house, his beer. Gold Coast is mixed spot. That was his wave. So I felt weird, awkward. I felt like shit. You know, we both kind of weirdly pulled off at the same time, and that wave rode off in the distance to Cura never to be ridden again. And I just paddled up to Mick feeling like shit. I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that was you. I couldn't see, you know, Mick being the legend that he is, the people's champ. He was like, mate, I don't know what you're talking about. No big deal. No worries, mate. Don't worry. 
And even though he felt that way, it still keeps me up at night. I wake up in cold sweats. I have nightmares about the incident. And it's just the stress on my shoulders that gives me nerve turds. So my friends, I'm calling you to ask, what the heck should I do? Mick, if you're listening, I'm sorry again. Guys, was I in the wrong here? I don't know. Anyways, all your help is much appreciated. And Danny, similarly, I have a story about Kai Otz at Cloudbreak where him and I had a little exchange, but we're going to save that for next time. Anyways, love the show, guys. Thank you so much for what you do and have a frothy day. We'll catch you next time. What did you make of Hando's uh, sin? Oh, I feel for him. I feel for him. The way he laid it out, too, it's... You can't help but feel for the guy, right? I mean, he can't really see. He thinks he's on good one on the Gold Coast, which is pretty much impossible. Doesn't know it's Mick. I mean, that's that's oh, that's a hard one. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I I get where he's coming from, and on one hand, but then on the other hand, I just thought it was just such an incredible achievement. Like surfing blind for one, like that's Bethany Hamilton level genius shit, and then secondly. He he caught up to Mick Fanning on a wave, uh, you know, white lightning, the fastest surfer in the world on, at his home break. So, so I just was so baffled by the achievement. I guess he wants some punishment. He he needs to he needs to deal with this grief that he's clearly carrying around. So what do you reckon? What do you reckon we should do? Well, it sounds like Mick didn't care. It sounds like Mick forgave him. Does just didn't matter to him. So it's not an issue there. It sounds like this is really one where he needs to go inside and forgive himself. And so I thought an appropriate thing would be going on a vision quest. Um, (laughs) If he didn't, (laughs) I think that's, I think that's what his whole life's been. Yeah. So I think he needs to, you know, some podcasts, if they go into like kind of medical stuff, they always say like, I'm not a doctor. Don't take my advice. Fuck that. Uh, take our advice. We're pretty much doctors. I think he needs to like just get a ton of like really strong psychedelics and go on a vision quest. And in that experience, I think he'll be able to see it more clearly, which is an issue for him, and in turn, forgive himself and let it go and move on and prosper. Oh, that's, that's, actually, that's actually great advice. That's a beautiful punishment. Or are we calling the punishment? That's a beautiful uh, penance? Like a- Penance? Is that it? That sounds right. Penance. I'm gonna penance meaning punishment inflicted to oneself as an outward expression or repentance for wrongdoing. Penance sounds good then, yeah. I think that's his penance. You know what I think his penance should be? Penance. Is that I just loved the way he called Mick off the wave. He's you, you, you. Mm. And so I just think that it was assertive and and a great way to, you know, to communicate. Despite the fact that it was, it did end up being the king in front of him. The fact that he he didn't give up was commendable, and I just mm. thought it was just it was such a positive and pleasant uh, way to go about addressing the situation. So I think that for for at least a week, he should start every sentence with when he's talking to other people with, "You, you, you." <laughs> Oh, that'd be good. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, do both. Thanks, Bach, and 
Thanks to anyone that sent in a surf sin. Please keep sending them in. Both my email and Buck's is in the episode description if you just want to record a voice memo and then email it to us. We'll get you on the show and give you your penance. And now let's hear from Mikey and Stace. Man, those guys can talk, huh, Stace? I thought we were supposed to be the long format podcast, but yeah, that was the drop. You're now listening to Stab's premiere podcast, The Cusp. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so yeah, we're just going to get straight into the topic at hand, which first and foremost is the WSL's quote unquote big announcement. Um, we found out, depending on when you're listening to this, a couple days ago, that the WSL is officially shifting its format in 2022. They're going to have a mid-year cutoff for the first time since 2010. Rest in peace, Tanner Gadowskis. And uh, they're locking down basically the CT for the next few years with 10 events and then still the WSL finals at the end, which is going to change each year. So, uh, yeah, Stacey, what was your big takeaway? How do you feel about all this? Are you excited? Are you scared? Are you anxious? I'm not scared. I can rule that out. I think I'm excited. I was overexcited, actually. I was so excited. Um when we got the press release that I actually called you freaking out and then you kind of shut me down pretty quick to say that nothing really changes and then I really thought about it and and in a way you're right um it'll just be a QS that qualifies people for the CT um oh sorry a regional series a challenger series a world tour and just at halfway through the year a few people that weren't really doing that well will drop off and it'll be business as usual for the back half of the year. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, but I think I'm leaning more towards what you said and that not that much is going to change. Yeah. Well, a lot of people seem to have forgotten that the WSL actually announced this mid-year cutoff maybe like a year ago when they laid out their like kind of long-term plans for the CT. So Technically, this isn't actually like news, but to most people, it seems to be. So it's worth discussing. Um, But the way I see it is, you know, all it does is it shifts the there's two races usually at the end of the year, one for the world title, one to get over that 22nd spot in the men's side and the 10th spot for the women's side to requalify. So all it's really doing is moving that second race to the middle of the year. Um, because the surfers that make it across that qualification line, the mid-year cut, are on for the next year's tour. Um, So right now, obviously, the men have a 36-man field in their events, and that's 34 full-time competitors and two wild cards. The women currently have a... Sorry, the 24? No, 18. God, sorry. That's all right. Let me re-say that. The women currently have an 18-person field, and that's going to get cut down to 12, being uh, 10 women still on tour and two wild cards. So, um, yeah, you basically have to be within that 22 or 10 come that uh, after that fifth event at Margaret River, and otherwise you're out. Um, but the cool thing is that it's basically just slingshot you straight into the start of the Challenger Series. So if you fall off the tour... Yeah, that sucks, but you get to basically go straight back into it and say, all right, well, I'm just going to requalify again, go straight from Margaret River to Snapper, and hopefully start bagging some results so you can get back on the tour in 2023. I think it's actually a pretty cool system. 
For sure. You end up in Margaret River or you're coming into Australia and if you don't go that well, you end up finishing at Margaret River and you more or less just do what you did on the tour anyway and you come over to, well, in reverse order, but you'll come back to the Gold Coast because the Gold Coast is now a Challenger Series event and you'll do um, some QSs in Australia and then you'll be on the QE for the year, which will be a bit of an attitude adjustment, but it all kind of seems like what you say, it all kind of seems pretty fair. Well, I think that the WSL has always kind of towed this line between wanting to do what's best for their business and wanting to do what's best for the surfers. And it's a really, really tricky one. Um, And I do not envy their position, like, because on one hand, you need to create content and a competition and a tour that is really valuable to a viewer. And that means entertaining, really, is all it comes down to. And I've been a proponent for a long time now about slimming down the tour because I think that that could make it more entertaining. One, in the sense that you get the matchups you care about earlier on, and two, that you'd be able to run in better windows of surf. But at the same time, you have the surfers who are saying like, no, first of all, we don't want to lose our jobs, so please don't cut the number on tour down. And two, you know, they, 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 the argument's been made that if you cut it down to a certain number, it's not really a tour. It's just a few guys going around and, and surfing the best waves or whatever, which I don't know. Yeah, definitely. It, it just kind of, obviously with any change, there's going to be, there's going to be challenges. And if you were John, John Florence, the, the year that he injured his knee uh, in Bali uh, prior to that, he had a horrific start to the year and I, I believe he would have fallen outside of the cut even prior to the injury. So, you know, there's always that. And then there's, you know, surfers that come home really strong in the back half of the year, uh, you know, t- to cement themselves on tour. That's just not going to be a thing anymore. You need to be all guns blazing from the get-go. And, um, you know, otherwise you won't get to surf an event like what we're getting our mitts stuck into next, which will be the beautiful right-hand points of uh, Mexico. What, what, how are you feeling about this, Mikey? You just got back from there. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously it's going to be, it's always hard when you have this idea in your mind of what a thing was or what it could be or what it should be. And obviously our one example of this event was down in 2006 and famously they got probably the best swell at the best bank and it just all kind of aligned. Um, I don't think this event is going to be anything like that. But it's still a really fun point break. Um, you know, the forecast looks okay. And the surfers nowadays are arguably a lot better, at least in the types of waves that we'll get this year. Um, I th- think it's probably pretty hard to beat what Andy and Taj and those guys were doing, and Kelly, of course, in perfect four to six foot point break tubes back then. But um, as far as like fun, rippable, head high surf, you get somebody like, uh, Felipe out there, Italo, all those guys. And I mean, you're going to see some spectacular surfing. No doubt. In that sense though, this event is just destined to fail, isn't it? Mm, yeah. You, that argument could be made. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I think it's more of a credit to how good 2006 was, you know, seeing the Andy highlight reels and the free surf footage and, yeah, like the free surf footage from that event was ending up in his movie parts. Like that's how good the waves were that whole time they were there. So yeah, it's um, 
pretty pretty next level to to think about how good that place can get and it's good to see it back on the map because from what i understand it had a you know the better part of a decade there where the sand was just horrific um and and it wasn't very good and obviously selena cruz a bit further south jumped onto the map because all the sand was really good down there and that's where everyone was going to to film their video parts and, and stuff like that but i couldn't imagine you know kira not being good for 10 years so i'm stoked but to it s- wasn't that happened what do you mean you're from the gold coast you should know this in my lifetime i've only ever known one thing and it's never not broken for 10 years <laughs> you know what i mean well i just remember parko and mick used to always say like oh man if we could just have kira back we'd give up the whole super bank oh yeah the old sand pumping committee and no one knows what side of the fence they all sit on there <laughs> um for sure but i never i never had that so i can't really i can't really make reference to that but i think maybe maybe a better maybe a better reference would be snapper like snapper not being good for 10 years that that was probably a better a better way of putting it um so yeah it's um it's going to be exciting to see there's been some um last minute withdrawals though on the on the, on the women's side if we want to get right into that i believe lakey peterson and amuro suzuki will not be making the journey um, I think Lakey's still um, not feeling 100%. And I believe Amuro Suzuki actually uh, declined the invitation given that she is in Japan and Mexico is a long way from Japan. And with only two events remaining on the calendar, chances of her re-qualifying and the, you know, the money and time it will take, I think she's looking at uh, focusing her attention on the, the Challenger Series, which is due to start in uh, September at the US Open. Mm. Does that mean no... Uh, Tahiti for her either I haven't heard any news from her about Tahiti but you'd maybe think she's so. just reveling in that in that uh, silver glow or sorry uh, that bronze glow oh wouldn't you just lapping it up not leaving home yeah. for the rest of the year now um, <laughs> but um yeah, a surfer that is going to make the trek, who I think was in a similar position, which I'm, I'm stoked to see her going, is uh, is Macy Callahan. She's going to, she's locked in for Mexico and Tahiti, because you know, with the way the world is at the moment for Aussies, it it definitely is a, a big call to make what events you do decide to go to. Um, and with Macy's position on the world tour, I wasn't sure if she would go or not, simply because she'd probably have to win both events just to requalify. So big, big effort from her to go, but I'm stoked to see her going because I think, um, you know, those two waves, are, you know, even if you don't end up with the best results there, you're no doubt going to gain a heap of experience. So, yeah, particularly Chopes. I think that a lot of, a lot of the women there are going to gain a lot of experience and um, it's going to be, you know, a bang, bang finish to the year. Two mental events if, if the swell cooperates. Mm. So she's committing to being outside of Australia then for like, four or five months almost that's pretty much what you're dealing with um if you are going to do the tour and you're not looking like requalifying or for whatever reason you did you did fall off the tour the men's or the women's side and you're australian um you know you know guys like jack robinson he'll need a couple of big results otherwise he'll he'll sort of face a similar destiny in that you go straight off the tour straight onto the challenger series which yeah isn't too bad of a travel proposition when you look at it from the sense of you'll go Mexico, Tahiti, and then back to the US Open. So not too bad. I've seen worse. Mm. Okay, so do you know who's replacing these surfers? I believe Shelby Detmers won the trials. 
And I think Silvana Lima will be also joining the tour again. Okay. I also saw that Diego Cadena won the men's local trial, so I think he'll be getting a run. And then we've heard some whispers about a few other surfers that might be getting uh, either their first look or one of their first looks at a CT. Um, Do you know who that might be? I have seen Rio Waida and Mateus Hurdy on their Instagrams are both in Mexico and they both are on the Quicksilver team and that's who's sponsoring that event. So I'm fingers crossed that those two guys are the two wild cards because they're both super exciting. Yeah, I know Mateus was in the, the Gold Coast event and I think Rio was in one of the Bali events. Is that the only times we've seen them in a CT? I can't think of any other times. I've seen Mateus surf in Brazil, but that was a QS. And then obviously he got second at Halle Eva, but that's a QS as well. So yeah. And he got hurt. He was supposed to be in that one Brazil comp, but he got hurt just before. I remember that as well. Yeah, right. So yeah, massive opportunity for both of those two lads. And that's a Rio. wave where they could like actually oh. go. I mean, after being down in Costa Rica with Mateus, I must have seen him do... He would have had a dozen waves where he landed two legitimate airs on the same wave. And that was at like a pretty closed out beach break. I can't imagine what he would be capable of on like a six turn point. Like if he gets the right sections, he could do three airs easily on a wave, like Felipe style. You're claiming Felipe shit. Mm, I, it could happen. He's yeah. so stuck to his board. Like it's, he's just one of those surfers where... He almost just looks like a like a gecko the way that his feet and his legs like compress to his surfboard and it feels like anytime he goes up his board comes with him might have to get down there and check one of his boards and make sure there's not some sort of like invisalign binding <laughs> set up on there well it was so crazy because in costa rica he was riding kind of like older boards because he hadn't been able to get a shipment because of covid and then he got these new boards and he got these epoxies and they like just didn't look the same. Like it, they looked like they were really on top of the water. It looked like he couldn't find his feet on them. So maybe he just had a really magic board in Costa Rica. Um, I hope he still has it or I hope he's found another one because if that kid is on, he just does not fall. Yeah, he's, he's super exciting. Can't wait to see uh, that unfold. Getting back to the forecast though, have you had a bit more of a look into that? Uh, how it's actually looking for the event? Yeah, it's looking like there's a bit of swell in the first couple days. And then kind of just some like shadow swells, like, you know, the ones that just kind of like are there, but not really there. Like you'll see some, some lines on the graph, but there's not like a real energy source behind it. So you just wonder how real it is. Um, So it's kind of like that through most of the waiting period, but I've also seen that the winds could get a little bit dicey Um, down in Mexico. Sometimes you get these northerly winds, which, uh, despite the fact that it's a basically a south facing coast, the north winds are terrible because the way that the coast turns on the points, it just goes straight into them. And um, where some surfers, I guess, might be thinking like, oh, it's good air wind. It's like, it's almost like that it's so hard and so up the face that you can't even get enough speed. And it, it just, it takes a beautiful long period wall and turns it into just a heap of shit. Like there's just nothing there. There's no power. There's no energy. It's just all blown to crap. So hopefully we don't deal with that, but it is a possibility. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the coastline there 
on the tips of the points where they all are, they're almost like facing east-west, right? Yeah. Like the coast itself is facing due south pretty much. So like all the beach breaks, like where the where the lines come in and they're just straight closeouts, they would be offshore. But the points, they curve so much that it's almost like, yeah, it's it's like 120 degrees of difference from the, the shape of the kind of like main coastline. So a north wind blows like into the right really, really badly. And the sun sets on the kind of behind the headlands, right? Yeah, the sun sets behind you. In the morning, you're like staring into the sun pretty much when you're looking out the back. I, I remember that just tripping me out thinking where am I right now that that could be happening because you're ultimately on the west coast of the yeah. continent, but it bends around so much that you're going, hang on a minute, what Yeah, what way is up and down? Oh, hang on a minute, it's six-foot barreling, <laughs> who cares? But yeah, it's definitely a bit of a geography nightmare in that part of the world when it comes to like, you know, what winds and, and stuff like that are going to be going to be good. It's almost like the opposite of yeah. what you think, um, particularly when I hadn't been there. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, this is so different to what I thought. It got me thinking though, who is your one wild card from any era? And I think we'll have to play the game of like ruling out the number one, which has to be Andy. Who's who's your one wild card for Mexico? Have you got given a this forecast? Um, sure. Yeah. Oh, that gets a little bit trickier. Um, well, what about just in general? What about if it's like four to five feet pumping kind of vibe? I would take. Oh, give me a second. Um, we'll just assume Andy's in the draw already. That he's he's in, and you get one more pick. Oh, you know who I'm taking? Yeah. Assuming that um, he would have some sort of competitive drive and would like at least try to like pick good waves and surf them well is <laughs> <laughs> Bryce Young. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great call. I, th- I swear that he is one of maybe like the four best, like I- I've seen him do some of the top five best like rail turns that I've ever seen anyone do. He's, he's a good ambassador for the Ryan Birch ASIM surfboards. That's for certain. A crazy talented surfer and some of the shit that he does on a, on a wave on those boards. Like is the leverage that he level. gets because he's so long. I don't know. It's just uh, the way he can like move a surfboard through water is amazing to me. And I would, even if he lost, I would just love to watch him in perfect waves and see if he, like see if it would work in person, if he could actually stand up to someone like Italo is just going upside down 10 times. If he could just do like three big carves and just get a nine. What a juxtaposition of two opposing styles. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great call. I think like to that Birch did really well. I thought in the Vulcan pipe pro. So it goes to show that those guys can kind of pull it together in a 30 minute heat. If they had to, like, I don't think Ryan made his heat, but he definitely looked competitive and like packed a couple of bombs. I think Bryce could do it, do it the same. His dad's not young. He's got to have some competitive fire in him, right? You'd think so. It's got to be something in the bloodline. Um, I just stumbled across an old dusty pain clip the other day. I think he's surfing that bumper there. And, um, it's just like one of the best, marriages of surfer and surfboard and wave i've ever seen 
He does three of the hugest turns and just does not look like falling, and it is just so pure that I'd love to see a full health Dusty Payne get a call up to a right-hand Mexican point and, and do some damage as a wild card. Yeah, peak Dusty was, like, unbelievable. I mean, and he he was, like, he was regarded as one of the best surfers in the world. Like, he got picked by the rest of the surfers in Modern Collective to, I think, fill yeah. the spot that was supposed to be Julian's. Now onto the now onto the big time. Are we still going to not let each other pick who's number one and two in the world and stuff like that? Uh, well, okay. Hold on. I've Before we get to that, I have a point to make. Um, well, first of all, we didn't get to talk about this yet, but the reason that we have a few male wild cards, or one of the reasons at least, is that John Florence has officially pulled out of the last two events. Um, what's your gut reaction to this? <laughs> well, it's actually really funny because I thought we had the official news last week when we were talking about it on the pod when we were wrapping up the Olympics. And we, I was certainly talking about it as if he'd already made the announcement. <laughs> and then I think just yesterday or two days ago, he the official announcement came out. So, And I didn't have an inside word there or anything. I just thought that that was the case. So, yeah, my reaction is still the same. The Olympics for him was obviously a necessary risk or, or, or a warranted risk. And uh, Mexico and, and Chopu and ultimately a world title this year are not. And he's looking for the long term, which I'm really happy to see him do that because I think he's still young enough to make a couple of you know quality goes at, at winning world titles and I'd love to see him at 100%. I'd hate to see him come back at like, you know, anything less than 100% and then potentially re-injure himself. I just, yeah, just that would just make me feel ill knowing what he's got left in the tank. So I'm stoked to see him take the rest of the year off. I hope he enjoyed the Olympics and yeah, be back bigger and stronger. He needs to start strong though. He can't have a slow start in 2022. Otherwise he'll be <laughs> off the tour, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be pretty pumped to see him back in action and, and yeah. Yeah. I'm still a little salty. I still think, I mean, I, I get it. I get it, but I still think he maybe should have let Slater surf in the Olympics. Like just the fact that he's pulling out of these events now, it's like, God, like he knows he shouldn't have fucking surfed. Yeah. I don't think he has to justify himself to anyone and he can, he can do whatever he wants. He, he earned that spot. And if he wanted to paddle out there with one leg, then that's, that's up to him. Um, yeah. The, the chat amongst every sports group thread I'm in is like the same thing. It's 50% of the crew are like, it's fucking bullshit. He should have just let Kelly surf. And then the other 50% are like, yeah, it's, it's his call to make. And I'm, I'm of the side of that. It was his call to make. Kelly had the chance to one-up him at pipe and he was John was surfing on one leg then and he still couldn't do it. So, yeah. Well, actually, no, Kelly did do enough, but he hadn't done enough earlier in the year to, to make it count. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Speaking of making the call, how do you feel about this? What if Gabriel Medina didn't surf the last two events of the year? Do you think that would be a good strategy or a terrible strategy? Firstly, I'd be totally fine if he decided to do that. Secondly, I think that it doesn't matter because the uh, the position that he is going to surf in the uh, final day surf off will likely be number one, and he gets three heats. So I think that. 
he might as well just kind of keep surfing, if that makes sense. Um, well, he only gets three heats if he wins one of the first two. Agreed. Yes, you're right. He, he's going to get three heats. <laughs> uh, but it's an interesting one, though, in, in, the, in the part of, like, if you're finishing second or third and you're Italo or Philippe. I know those guys like to warm into events, so not so much Italo, actually, but definitely Philippe. Philippe definitely warms up. He rarely comes out of the gates super hot. So, yeah, that, that final day is going to... And also, Trestles is a freaking slow wave, so you're going to want to be competitively sharp. And I think that, um, you know, yeah. What, what's, your, what's your take on that? Do you reckon it's crossed his mind? I think it would have to. Um, I mean, there's, there's a number of reasons, right? One is there's, you're protecting yourself theoretically from injury a bit better. You know, maybe not so much in Mexico. And obviously, he is a complete master in Tahiti. He's made five of the last six finals there. But it's still a heavy wave. Weird things can happen. The WSL, at least to my knowledge, hasn't clearly stated what would happen if, like, the number one surfer was injured when the finals were supposed to run. Like, would he just forfeit his position and forfeit any chance to win the world title? I'm not sure. Um, So that's one thing. Another is that, um, like you said, it's really unlikely, even if Gabby was to skip those two events, that somebody would overtake him. Um, I did the math, and I think, as far as I can tell, Italo would need to win both events. And Felipe would need to win one, get second in the other, which is obviously really unlikely. Um, but in the off chance that they did, I really think that it might still play into Gabby's favor because he really does. He loves chasing. He loves coming from behind. And he also is a huge momentum surfer. And I think that it, it is like, you know, as long as you can win that first heat, once you get that under your belt, I feel like he would feel completely unbeatable and... That might be helpful. And then just third, it would just like, it would also kind of suck the air out of the tour a little bit. Like even though he, his absence would just cause the commentators to talk about him more, I feel like. And I feel like that would just get in the minds of people and just be like, kind of like Slater-ish and, and I don't know, like I think he's in a really powerful position. And if he chose to do that, I think it could only benefit him. I reckon if he won Olympic gold, he might've done that. But the fact that he didn't even mm. medal at the Olympics, he's probably that angry and that fired up. He wants to, you know, he's just competitive, wants to take some names. So I think he's he's probably pretty keen to just keep rolling and I don't see him doing this master plan that we speak of. Getting back to the getting injured thing, though, I don't know if it's just been in heats that he can't hear the commentator or he's assuming he's in second, but I've seen him do some gigantic airs on the buzzer that he did not need to do. Um, so I hope he kind of reins that in a little bit leading into the finals. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't been flyaway airs. He's been like trying to stomp big rotations on the buzzer. And I'm like, mate, you've already got that person comboed. <laughs> or like the heat, was yeah. up, the heat was over in the Olympics and he still went for one. I'm like thinking, dude, come on. Take it easy. Yeah. He's um, built for it. Him and Italo, man. They are. But getting back to the point of would they, is there any kind of rule in place for the number one seed? I don't, I don't think so. The, the way that the, the WSL reference, um, you know, other sports and, and what they do to crown their champions, uh, the other sports that they reference. But that's so like, that's where, that's where you lose me. Cause in the NFL, if one of your players is hurt, you can just swap another in. There's no other Gabriel Medina. If he gets hurt, he just forfeits his chance at a world title. That seems a little bit unjust. 
if your quarterback goes down, you're forfeiting your chance at a title in the in the NFL. If Tom Brady goes down, you're not. Do you know what I mean? It's, I think it's the same thing. And not that I agree with it. I'm just saying that they they're referencing every other sport in the world that does this, and so we're doing that this year. There, there'll be no contingency, I don't think, for for that. It's just unlucky and would be talk about getting spoken about you'd you'd get spoken about just as much as the world champ i reckon (laughs) like if gabriel medina loses the title this year we'll be talking about this forever yeah that's very true which i guess all plays back into the wsl's favor when you think about it like to them even a bad result is a good result in a way with this wsl finals thing like the surfers might be mad and the people might be mad, but all together that just leads to more engagement for them. And I think they do see themselves largely as a media company. So, a events company wrapped in a media company, I think, is what they see themselves is. as. As mm. sorry, I can't talk properly. Too much coffee. But yeah, <laughs> no, it's interesting. Like they are definitely, um, you know, doing an amazing job at the moment to get these events up and running. So. Yeah, for, for wrapping out the year, I hope all three events get waves and that the, you know, the, the surfing just does the talking and hopefully there's no, you know, I just hate to see slow trestles and, and, a, and a title decided that way, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Speaking of which, I had a listener send me a DM on Instagram and they had an idea that they thought would be interesting if we discussed. Um, his idea is essentially putting like a shot clock on priority so that you can't just sit there eternally with priority and that you need to use it after before a certain amount of time. Otherwise, priority either goes neutral or I guess to the other surfer. How do you feel about this? Well, Matthew Hayes, firstly, I'm extremely disappointed. I thought that I was your favorite member of the cusp. <laughs> and now I'm starting to think that you just copy-pasted your same thing to me and wrote it to Mikey as well. So I feel slightly betrayed, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. Um, and I, I had a little thought about this because, yes, Matthew Hayes did write to me. Thank you so much for getting involved in the Stab Cusp. I don't hate the idea. Um at certain locations around the world. But I think though, I mentioned it in the last podcast, um, patience is a really uh, important thing to have in, in surfing in, in some premier waves around the world. Tahiti, J-Bay, Bells Beach. And I don't really think you should be penalized for, um, you know, waiting for the wave that you want um, but that's that's us thinking about it from the surfer's perspective, right? Like, I bet any basketball coach before the shot clock was instituted would say, patience is key. We need to have as much time as we need to get the right shooter in position and blah, 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 blah. Like, that clock got put in there to make the game faster and make it more interesting for the viewer. And don't you think this would kind of do the same thing in surfing? Those hoops at the end of each of the end of the courts don't move, brother. And no, it's not the same thing at all. So I think that if I'm to give this idea a yes or a no, I think the initial idea, I'm going to give it a no for the reasons that I've just mentioned. But I definitely think with a bit of workshopping, the the idea has legs. I just don't know how it could look in the long run just because of 
what I mentioned about I don't think you should be penalised for waiting for the best wave. Like Honolulu Bay can go flat for 15 minutes and you, 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 you waited your turn and you want the second wave in that set but you've just lost priority because you've waited there for five minutes. Like, I, yeah, I just don't see how, you know. Maybe this is where we bring the buoy back. The, yeah. So after 10 minutes or whatever, it goes neutral and oh. you can decide if you want to run out to the buoy and get back in. <laughs> that, that's where I think, like, this idea could work on perhaps a bit more of an um, alternate tour where, you know, you have, you know this could work in a bit more of an exhibition style events and, and things like that where you want action and you want to see things and you want to see people catching waves and, and stuff like that. But but for me, I, I see the world tour of, of surfing much like a five-day game of cricket. It's it, There are art forms to it that you don't want to see changed or sped up. It, it, is, it is what it is for a reason. And I'm not against change altogether, but I think there's certain aspects of the sport that are unique to us as surfers and i think sitting and waiting and selecting a wave is is one of those things (laughs) if there's one thing that symbolizes surfing it's sitting and waiting (laughs) (laughs) yeah and if you don't like it go and watch fucking a game of something else like yeah i get pumped watching a surfer sitting there and waiting and like oh my god is this wave going to come that gets me excited that's that's true there is something to that um, <laughs> Fuck you, right, you so, love it too <laughs> <laughs> So To that point um, How, you know, some of surfing And surfing competitions Specifically should be considered sacred Would you say that the WSL Has crossed the line or kind of Jumped the shark with any of these new Rules that over the last few years They've tried to implement or are they still within The kind of like range of This is right, this is good you know what, it's probably going to be one of those things where when the changes are being made, it's not until you have a fair bit of time to reflect on it to answer a question like that. Yeah, I mean, I think like the finals could be the one thing that in five years we'll have a much better idea of whether or not that was actually the right thing to do. I, I, I still think with something like this, it's not for me. Um, but... I'm still going to watch it. I'm still excited to watch it. And it's their business. They've they got to make calls. Like you said, it's it's a business. They want people watching it. They want people getting engaged with it. And they want the shock story. And the shock story will be this year if Gabriel Medina loses. And this is the only way that a dominant surfer loses a world title. Mm. And the one, like, you know, if, if Italo was the one to do it, it's like, okay, fair enough. I think if Felipe is the one to do it, that is like a second, that's like kind of like multiplying the the kind of shock factor, right? Because then you have not just did the person who would have won every other year on tour win, but he lost to a surfer who to this day is kind of unproven in a certain sect of waves that are, you know, pretty pivotal to the tour, but he could get away with not surfing them that well because of the way this new system plays out. Yeah, agree. Mate, you're forgetting about Morgs again. Morgs is coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What holy shit. If Morgs wins the world title, what are the odds on that right now? Somebody's gotta have odds on it. Surely. Yeah, I don't know, I haven't looked. 
you have to send a message into the group chat and see. I'll, can you can you make a you know it, the Buck and Danny are doing their um their kind of like penance thing where they tell people what their punishment is for certain surf crimes. Uh, <laughs> <Are they? laughs> can 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 you tell me what I'll have to do if Morgan Sibilic wins the world title this year? Um, yeah, it's, it's easy. You got to wear his jersey out your local surf spot. Yeah. Okay. I I would do that anyway. But yeah, yeah. sweet. Like, oh, well, and, and then like wear the rashy into the local coffee shop after. Yeah. Maybe I'll just wear it the whole Hawaii season. Yeah. Just something like that. That's pretty, that's pretty mellow. Um, mm, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I just had an imagine. I do like Morgan, by the way. I, he's, he's a great surfer. Oh, yeah. I don't want anyone to think that I don't like Morgan. I just, no, it's just I'm, not I'm the gu- same for me. I'm guilty of it too. Like every event we go into it, we're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is the one where he doesn't quite pull it together. And then he just gets a final <laughs> or a third or something. And you're like, oh, okay. And he's done that to us about five times this year. So more power to the morgues. Um, we've got to start backing him in at one point. I, I just played an imaginary game of who's going to win the world title with Ronnie Blakey. And... Um, the first matchup is Griffin and Morgs, and I had Griffin winning that, so I'm still, still, um, still doubting him. But he's been proving us wrong every time, and maybe that's the the fuel to his fire. All right, so we've got Max coming up in just a few days. Are there any other thoughts? I mean, we haven't really talked about the women's side of that event. Like the the women's world title race is also still very much a factor. Um, who do you see doing well over there, and is anybody going to catch Carissa? come the end of the season nobody's going to catch carissa come the end of the season but the women's top five race is a lot more interesting than the men's um we kind of alluded to that in earlier shows um about how close it all it all is together so that one is going to be super interesting to see who, who can pull it off um who's my pick for Oh, the win down here in Mexico. It'd be pretty hard to go past Steph Gilmore, right-hand point. And I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna stick with Steph. What about yourself? Do you think there's any chance that Steph rides something non-traditional? Nah, I think she'll ride a thruster. Damn. That sucks. What I guess, you, yeah, she's in fifth place right now. It's just a little bit too risky. What, what do you reckon? Do you reckon there's any chance she rides something else? I mean, I know that it's obviously, like, not taboo, but, like, I feel like if you could strip away the preconceptions of, like, oh, she's riding this board, so she's not taking it seriously. I've seen her surf, you know, whether it's a twin or... I don't know. I guess I haven't really seen her ride quads, but like I've seen her surf those boards so beautifully and I think it would mesh so well with the waves down there. We obviously saw Coco do a bit of that recently and it just seemed to fit that style of wave better, at least in an aesthetic sense. You know, maybe you're not cracking the lip quite as hard and maybe once I'm in like CT mode, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's stupid. But I don't know, just to watch somebody ride one of those waves like really smoothly and gracefully, it's like, how can you really surf it better than that? I think in small gutless waves, a twin fin would work better than some shortboards, no doubt. Um, remember one year warming up for the US Open, Mikey Feb had a board there that was a, a twinny, and we just chucked a little trailer in the back of it, and thing went mental. The waves picked up for the comp, so he didn't end up riding it, but he was getting across dead water 
way better than anyone else. So there's definitely a time and a place for them, but I just think more often than not with the CT venues and the places that the surfers are going, um, Thruster just seems to be the proven, proven winner. All right. So I'm going to make you look like an asshole, and I'm saying that Malia's taking this one home. No, it's not really making me look like an asshole. I just can never really pick her because it's obviously, it's just too obvious. So I'm stoked that you're backing her in. And I love that you've picked her. She needs a result here. Um, moving moving into, into teetering. Really teetering. And the, the tough thing about this year is that they're only taking the top nine. So ultimately, she, yeah, she's Why? on. Uh, that's one of those things that kind of got announced on the sly, I think. <laughs> it wasn't broadcast too <laughs> far and wide. But, um, you know, in that in that bracket from kind of 8 to 12 uh, or even sort of down to 13, there's there's a few surfers there who you sort of expect them to be a little higher. So uh, Malia's definitely one of them, and she is got some ground to make up. Like, it's, it's 3,000 points behind 9th, and 9th is no slouch. That's Courtney Connellock. So... You know, Malia's had a win over her this year uh, at Honolulu Bay, but since then, Malia's kind of only had another quarterfinal, which is at Rottnester Island, which, um, yeah, is, I don't think a true reflection of how she's been surfing. It's just in her heat, she just hasn't really found that rhythm. So I'm excited to see her in these conditions. It definitely plays into her strengths. So I'm definitely hoping that she can um, pull off a big result here because I, I think that she's a, a world tour surfer. And I think that, you know, her having to think about getting back on the QS is something that probably keeps her awake at night. So, yeah, this is this is a massive event. And speaking to the kind of breadth and depth of the women's talent right now, um, we've had six events thus far, and we've had six different winners. So six of the seven surfers in the top seven have an event win. And, yeah, I think that that's probably the first time in a while that that's the case. For a while there, it seemed like the same three surfers were winning pretty much every event on the women's side. Yeah, agreed. And that's what's going to make this, you know, end of the year so, so close for the women. Um, You know, in early episodes, we kind of made reference to the fact that Sally was guaranteed. And all of a sudden, with a few other surfers winning events... It's it's not looking like you know Sally's still looking really strong, but she's going to have to fight hard to finish out the year. Um, she she wouldn't want to be getting anything less than than quarterfinals to, to finish this one out. So um, it's crazy you say that because the one surfer that hasn't won an event this year is Steph Gilmore. She yeah. she was she was Miss Fifth for ages. Then she got a second at Margs, and, uh, and then another fifth at the Wave Pool. So. She's um, she's been ultra consistent there, uh, but hasn't had that huge win. So if she 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 and, dropped and a she win in there. She needs it. Mm. Like it, she needs it in Mexico because Tahiti is not going to be her strong suit. I would imagine based on you know past performances, and there are a lot of women that look to me like a lot stronger competitors out there. So if I'm Steph right now, I'm thinking I really need to win Mexico if I want to be in this conversation come lowers. Yeah, that's a really good point. You'd want to be solid in there. She's kind of surrounded by two goofy footers, um, and that's Tatiana in fourth and Caroline in sixth. And they're two surfers that going into chopes, you would definitely back them in to get a result if they need it. So you'd want to be creating some and distance. And Tyler's right behind them. Tyler's right behind them as well. Um it's, yeah, you know, 
Tyler and Steph though are similar to me in that they have that they will go attitude. I still think though if it's like three foot chopes and they they're sticking to turns, um, they're both two surfers that will want to be inside the top five before Tahiti. Um, and then you know I mentioned earlier Courtney Connellog's in ninth. Talk about having the right attitude. If Chopes is big, she'll swing and go. <laughs> I would love to see that. I really hope we do get enough swell for the men and the women over there. Um, th- those are the kinds of events that are really going to change everything for women surfing. Like one, just getting to like pushing them to be there and do it and, you know, realize that they can is one step, but then it's, the idea that all the next generation are going to be like, oh, okay, we actually have to go there. So we're going to start going there when we're 15, you know, rather than 25, like a lot of these women started, you know what I mean? So it's going to completely change women surfing just as well as the ladybirds are right now with Stab High, I think. Like I genuinely, not to toot our own horn, and, and it's not us, it's them, but like seeing what they're doing, like I can't imagine that's not going to have a huge impact on the future of women surfing. The platform Stab provided those young women to do their thing has had a massive impact on not only the way that they were competing against each other, but the message it then sent to the broader female surf community. I definitely think you're allowed to toot your own horn on that one, Mr. Sierra Miller. Well, I don't know if you've seen episode three of Stab High yet. It just came out, but um, yeah, the stuff that Aaron and Katie are doing and the little rivalry that forms between them, like it's unbelievable and they're just like pushing and pushing and like it gets a little bit feisty it's it was pretty fascinating to watch like you know yeah claws came out the girls were i don't want to say sitting on one another but like it was they were staying close to each other in the lineup and they didn't have to be there was no competition area um so anyway i guess that's uh that's us, yeah? Anything else we missed? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure we probably missed something, but off the top of my head, that, that seems like it. I'm excited for Mexico to start. Surely Danny and Buck covered it, whatever oh, it was. Oh, yeah, you'd think so. I'm excited for Mexico to start, but I'm also not because it's back to every event from now for us Australians is just the worst time zone. Like, mid, oh, mid, thank God. midnight starts. <laughs> Ugh. So, yeah, that's... Finally, I don't know. Domain. Yeah, that's not going to be great. But, um, yeah, looking forward to it. And, uh... Thanks, Mikey. Thanks, Stace. That's all we have. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Can skinny people really be funny? Because Jonah is clearly more funny than you in the film, Michael. I just feel like I don't know what, I don't, I, I, I'm just kind of not really in the mood to do this. We don't need this interview. We've done 20 interviews. It's not fun. <laughs> Sorry. You know how badly I want to, fu- no, you think it's funny. You think this is all a big fucking joke, but this is, we're, we're here. We don't need to be here. We're here to try and sell the movie. We're not here to be your fucking friend. Don't laugh like you're my friend, okay? I would fucking knock your teeth out of your dumb fucking English skull if Michael. Hey, you know, fuck no, no, I'm, I, I don't fucking calm me down, dude. Now I'm not. We do this all day. I fucking, I'm tired. I want to go home. I have other shit I want to do too. So I'll fucking go over there and rip your fucking hair out of your head if you don't shut up. It's like in the. He's uh, like he is in the film. <laughs> you know, I'm stressed out. Because I'm fucking on Atkins and I haven't eaten shit all day because every fucking reporter comes in here and asks me what it's like to be fucking unattractive and I want to fucking sit here and fucking kill you right now. I, I literally, my dream right now is to get out of this chair and fucking knock your teeth out of your head.